Father, we just come to you today just to uh, thank you for who you are, uh, for allowing us to together like we do to study your word. We ask that you would bless the food that we're about to get to the nourishment of our bodies and us to your service. And also just to want to lift up our, our pastor, Rich, as he's dealing with something that they're referring to as gout. All we know is that he's in a great deal of pain when he tries to walk. And Father, we'd ask that you would take that pain away from him, that you would heal him uh, so he could just return to being his normal active self. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. We're back to that. Yeah, I've got some extra copies here. Anybody needs a copy? Has everybody got their own copy this morning? Really need, yeah. need the one. Each one? Yeah. Brent yeah. uh, sent early this week. <laughs> yeah, he did, didn't he? Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> get a handkerchief. So uh, James uh, chapter 1, <laughs> verses 16 through 18. Uh, well, let's read those. Sal, you want to read those uh, three verses? Uh, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all he created. Okay. God is, uh, he is not like uh, the heavenly bodies, he said, you know. The moon goes through different phases and the sun rises and, and even the stars rotate in the skies above. We're very much aware of how. You know, uh, the heavenly bodies change. So he says, uh, uh, God is the father of light, but there's no variation of shadow in him. He's the same constantly. And what, what is he like? Well, I, the, the, the new internet, uh, revised version says, every generous act of giving, verse uh, 17. Every generous act of giving, every perfect gift. Your version, what has your version read, Sal? Every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift. Right. Yeah. I've got every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. Every good gift. This is every generous act of giving. Mm. And every perfect gift. Everything that's good comes from one who is good, with a capital G. I can even share that. Accidents happen sometimes in their big gifts. Thank you, Judy. You're very kind. That's good. That's good. Thank you. What did you say, Sal? I could, uh, Jeff, I could share that even when an accident happens or something that would take your heart away, my beloved 
and I were working on a property for our business. And it was where we were just doing the finishing touches on some things, you know. And she was reaching on a ladder. Mm. They had come and disrupted the soil, but they never came back and did like they should have and impacted that soil back down around the foundation. It was all wild up. They put a face on the brick or design brick on it. And she was up on a ladder and, of course, going to get that spot. And, her, and it was just a short ladder. But the ladder comes down. She lands on her elbow. And it forces it into her, her rib. And she's here. I don't know. I, I'm having trouble breathing. Now, what's your love? So I scooped her up in a small town away from the big city and took her to the emergency care there. And on the way, flare prayers, oh God watch over her, bless her, keep her, guide her. Why? Why? You know we got to get this job done. You know all these types of things. Why? 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 You know. And he always gives you this. You know, I can see much farther than you. I can understand more things than you. I know, God, I just got this little peanut brain. You're this awesome God out there that knows beginning to end when it rains, when it snows. So anyway, we get to the hospital, and they take uh, MRI pictures and all those things of her elbow. No broken bones, thank you, Lord. Takes over this area here, and no broken bones. Wow, this is really great. You know, really doing well. But we see this little strange thing. Okay, on your female organs, and. Long story short, we just buried a friend that had the same type of cancer that this anomaly goes into. But here, way back when, before it was cancer, the surgeon said that it could have entered into cancer. So, I mean, you all could probably feel what I was feeling like if you got a significant other and they, they, they are hurting and then to find out that they've got a problem that would have led to cancer. Mm -hmm. But they came in where she had a, they caught it early because of the accident. Because of the accident. Mm -hmm. So even in the midst of things that you are traumatized about, because I mean, you know, all I can imagine is, oh, she's got a broken rib that's yeah. going into it. She can't breathe. But of course, it was fairly. I mean, she had a bruise like this. Don't get me wrong. But uh, anyway, God, it all things to good. And I just believe in it. And I mean, even that point when it happened. Uh, well, uh, even though uh, God is a giver, yeah. He gives, but He's never depleted, is He? <laughs> Doesn't run out. Right? Yeah. 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 
And of course, the greatest gift is there in verse 18. The fulfillment of his own purpose. God had a purpose in creating us and in, and in giving us a new birth by, by his word of truth. So that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That, that expression kind of puzzles me a little bit. We become a first fruit of his creatures. Any of you have any thoughts about that phrase? Well, what are the first fruits of the, of the earth? I mean, that they, that they gave in sacrifice, that was the best, the, the very best, the, the, first, uh, the first of their crop. Uh, in anticipation that... Yeah, the, the oldest uh, yeah. animal. Yeah. The firstborn of an animal right. always sacrificed. In anticipation that they'll, they'll get more from it, from the Lord, you know? And so... But, uh, but we, through our new birth, apparently, right. we're becoming a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I guess uh, that uh, the first... Does that mean the other creatures, the other parts of creation, are going to experience uh, another, another birth, a second birth? We don't have any knowledge except about how he created us in his own image. I mean, he didn't say that he created the bear or the it seemed like you know even in creation we're we're kind of unique among the creatures right, yeah. we are unique yeah but the new birth in somehow or other makes us the first fruits of, of his creature of his creatures maybe I'm making this more difficult than it is but it's a, it's a little puzzling about But there is a uniqueness. I mean, a man's obviously unique as compared to the other creatures that he created. I mean, but he's not talking about the first creation. He's talking yeah. about the second new birth, isn't he? Mm -hmm. He gave birth to us by the word of truth. Right. I'll take my well, he's he's going to have to he's going to have to recreate everything because we know that the whole creation will all, be yeah. recreated. All of creation will be recreated. Right. So, I mean, so maybe so, that's what he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. Because that we are know the first this fruits world, of this new creation is going to go away. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And this is what he's doing for us. It's just a sign for the beginning of what is to come. Yeah. That everything will be made new. And like Sal said, you know, earlier when, you know, first fruits are always the best. Yeah. Right. And that's, we were created originally in his image, so we, we would then naturally be the first fruits of everything that's recreated. Very right. Which makes sense. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, because, and that's kind of what Revelation tells us too, is that is that we're going to be resurrected and then he's going to create the new earth and the new Jerusalem. Right. Yeah. Well, in Romans 8, he says, you know, the whole creation groans and prevails, waiting for the revelation of, of, of God's children. Uh, 
there's a Peter says in one of his pitches in Acts that that, uh, you. that Jesus is going back to heaven until the restoration of all things, the renewal of all things, as spoken of by the prophets. Suggesting that we look at there, there, there are there are three different sections here that are separated, uh, which have to do with the power of our speech. <coughs> Chapters one, nineteen through twenty-one, and then he picks it up, picks up this topic again in verses twenty-six and twenty-seven. Thank you. And then in chapter 3, the first 12 verses are concerned with, with uh, speech. So I'm suggesting we just kind of look at those together, where, where he kind of uh, has them separated, uh, the power of our speech. Does anybody need coffee? Verses 19 through 21. I'll, I'll just read those uh, while you guys are feeding your yourselves. <laughs> you must understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. He keeps talking, keeps using that phrase, my beloved, doesn't he? My beloved. He's back up in verse 16, he used it. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. You must understand this, my beloved brothers. Beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to anger. For human anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourself of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has power to save your soul. Uh, here again is the, the reference to the word that has the power to save us. The word uh, that uh, has given us a new birth. Back up in verse uh, 18. He gave us birth by the word of truth. Here, here he talks about the word, implanted word that has the power to save your souls. Uh, but uh, he, uh, he's just kind of assuming here, he connects uh, are being quick to speak with anger. <laughs> and uh, there's a real connection there, isn't there, guys? When you get angry, you want to blurt something out, don't you? <laughs> it often comes out. <laughs> in your, in some, something you say, some attack, something bitter. <laughs> So he, he encourages us, you know, when you're angry, be particularly be slow to speak. I'm so sorry. Okay. That happens, right? No, it's brand new one. Oh, yeah. I will get some. Uh, thank you. Got a problem there, Larry? Bad milk. Bad milk. Bad milk. Yeah, been, wow. <laughs> Turned sour. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
A very wise man once told me, Bob, before you open your mouth, make sure you've engaged your brain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My dad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got this email from, from uh, President Trump. Not an email, it was a text. And said, I'm serious, it said, when I'm, what would you like for me to accomplish when I'm elected president? I replied, same thing you said, put your, uh, put your brain. brain in gear before you, uh, or put your, engage your brain before you, before your put, thumbs, before, before you, you press in, <laughs> before you put your tongue in gear, engage the brain. Well, that's what he's saying here. Be slow. Yeah. When you're when you're upset or irritated, that's a good time just to say, let let me take let me count to ten before I say anything. Uh, Amen to that. How one. many times I wish I had done that. Now, a lot of times we talk about our righteous indignation, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I was angry, and I, but it, it was righteous indignation. What was, what was done here was not right, and I was speaking out against unrighteousness. Uh, but notice what James says. Human anger does not produce God's righteousness. <laughs> We don't usually end up with, with God's form of justice through our expression of anger. Why is that? Why? I mean, we do see things that are wrong, don't we? And it uh, makes you angry. Someone commits wrong. So acting out your anger doesn't produce justice. The justice, the righteousness of God. Anger is an emotion. And I find when you do things under emotion, you don't always control your, you know, your yourself. <laughs> The problem with our uh, our anger and our perception is that it's always limited, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas uh, God's expression of anger is uh, based on an absolute, total knowledge of what's going on. And he's the only one who really knows the hearts of the people involved. Right. Yeah. And the whole situation. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I think we see that God has anger and wrath, therefore it must be okay for us to do that as well. <laughs> but I think in most cases our anger is uh, yeah. sinful because yeah, yeah. it's us elevating ourselves to his position. You know, it's, it's his place to be angry about those things. And when we choose to 
I think is a true story about a man on a subway in New York. Uh, and uh, there was another fella got on the subway with three small kids, ages four, six, and eight or something. And these three kids were running around, running over people, just causing chaos. And this guy just kind of sat there with his head down. Apparently the kid's father. And finally somebody got so irritated and angry and said, why don't you do, are these your kids? Why don't you do something with them? What's the matter? What's going on here? He was really upset with him, really rebuked him. He said, well, they, they've been, they were really upset after they went to the hospital when they had to say goodbye to their mother. They'd just come from the hospital where their mother had just recently died. <laughs> so it's a whole brand new. It's a whole thing. different perspective then, wasn't it? Yeah. These kids Every out of control. <laughs> yeah. I've never had that before. No. no. But the date is says 29. This one too is says 29. Open a whole brand new box. This is. <laughs> I tasted myself. I tasted myself. I tasted myself. Unbelievable. I got three of them the same thing. Oh, really? Yeah, I just write it bad, bad. I write it and put it back in the box. They'll return it to them. They'll give them a free box because they come four dollars in one box. So they order like. Because they make mashed potatoes, they make, oh, yeah. you know, the sausage gravy, they all made for that. That's yeah, much better, thank you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's all right, it happens. Thank you. And then, jumping down to verses 26, he also brings up this question about our speech. If any, if any think they are religious, and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. So, uh, if, you, if you think you're really a pious religious person, but you can't control your tongue, well, your, your religion doesn't mean much. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about uh, really uh, pure religion. Pure religion and undefiled before God is what? What does it really mean to be a religion? Sometimes people talk about this so-and-so seems to be a very religious person. Well, according to James, to be religious means what? The orphans and widows. Verses 26 and 27, or verse 27. There are two things of it. Pure religion, if you're really religious, uh, <laughs> is to care for orphans and widows. It's how you treat people who are in trouble, who are in need, and to keep your, yourself unstained by the world. That's pure religion. Uh, wham. The, the word for religion here in verses 26 and 7 could be translated as acts of religious worship. 
those who think they're religious in terms of, of the way they uh, worship God. But true worship can't occur with an unbridled tongue without the tongue under control. It requires doing deeds of charity and a holy life. There, there are other, I've got some other texts here which talk about our real worship. What does it mean to worship God? Romans 12, 1. Have a relationship with Him. Romans 12, 1. One relationship But what does Romans 12, 1 say? Not sure. <laughs> I bet you're going to tell us, Bob. Right, but I'm you got an God. But if the relationship with God is there, how is that manifested? Offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your bodies are offered as a living sacrifice. You, you know, uh, worship back in the Old Testament was offering an animal sacrifice, wasn't it? Here, we offer our bodies, but not, not we don't offer them, we don't commit suicide, but we, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, and Hebrews uh, 13 talks about uh, uh, the lips that we praise God. That's one way of worshiping God. And the other way, other way is by what James talks about, uh, what we do in the way we help our neighbor. The love that's expressed towards our neighbor and those in need. It's such a simple phrase where he says, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Yeah. <laughs> okay, how tough could that be, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and then if we jump over to chapter 3, there's a, those 12 verses, extended verses, where he talks about uh, this unbridled tongue. And, and the, uh, he goes into some deep, very vivid detail the dangers of the unbridled tongue. Uh, Jeff, uh, do you have uh, chapter 3? Yes. Read, read the uh, first, first uh, just read through the first five verses. Okay. Three, you want 1 through 5 or 3 through 5? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 1 through first <coughs> one through 5. 1 says, don't be in a rush to become a teacher, my friend. Although teaching is a highly respectable work. Teachers are held to the strictest of standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone who speaks what's perfectly true, we have a perfect person, imperfectly holds life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse, a small rudder on a huge ship. In the hands of a skilled captain, sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of the mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless but wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can rule the world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on our reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. And this is scary. Okay. The, uh, 
since the tongue is so difficult to control, there's a first, there's a warning to teachers, isn't there? Uh, that you should, and it should be teachers. Uh, because actually, the ability to control the tongue is the, is the sign of maturity, is <coughs> spiritual maturity. That's probably the most, uh, one of the most significant signs of real maturity is the ability to control your tongue. Uh, anyone who makes no mistake in speaking is mature, able to keep his whole body in check. If you can control that tongue, that small member, <laughs> you, you can keep the whole body in check. <laughs> You, you, the rest of it is pretty easy to control. That's the, the one part that is so likely, to, you know, to uh, to get out of control. I I've, I've known people that uh, kind of use use it as an excuse. People that can't not say something when they, when they see something or when they, when they hear about something, they can't not say something about it. They can't not speak to the person. And they'll say, well, that's just the way I am. Okay, that's just, you know, that's my personality. Well, that's true. That's your natural information. Yeah, but in fact, it is something that we're all to control. You know, it's, you can't use that as an excuse of, well, just have to say something when I see something like that. That's almost like saying, well, I'm naturally a sinner, so therefore I have to sin. <laughs> I just have to. Yes. But yeah, but, you know, you can, you do something that, that's wrong and people will forgive you. But if you say something, you can't unsay it. Right. And you can't unhear it. Right. You know, and that's what we, we forget. It's like we just blurt it out. Tweet, tweeted, or texted, or always there for oh, it's all well. Oh, it's here to haunt you for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think that's one, like what you're saying, I think that's one of the things that young couples need to understand is that you need to learn how to fight fairly. The things that you say, you know, when you're angry, you know, when you're having a problem, Things that will will follow you. You can't you can't unsay those things. You, know, you call names and you do things like that. You know. Yeah. You have to learn to control control your tongue in your situation. Yeah. He in, in verses six and following, he talks about the power of the tongue, even though it's so small and, and what it can do. Uh, Sam, have you got that? Uh, uh, I'm not sure where we are. Verses James three. Let's just finish up verses six through six through twelve. James three, six through twelve. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it, and it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, 
reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Is a restless evil full? Is, is a restless evil full of deadly poison? With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Same mouth. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Our brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The tongue is so small, and yet it's, uh, it stains the whole body. What it does is it reflects upon who we are as a, as a person, doesn't it? Right. Our, our, our whole behavior is stained just by the words that come out of our mouth. Now, he talks about the danger of what we could say that the hurt it can cause. You know, it's just, it, uh, it sets on fire the cycle of life, and it, and it sets on fire by the hill itself. But, but there is a time and a place to speak, isn't there? And, and the Proverbs say, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and a network of silver. Something beautiful. A word fitly spoken. In other words, the tongue, the, the, there is a power, a destructive power, obviously. But they're, they're on the flip side. There's a constructive power in the tongue, isn't it? It's, it's interesting that the, in, in humans, <clears throat> the tongue is used for so much more than communication. Because we, we've come to learn that there are many animals in creation that communicate with one another. Okay? They have ways of communicating information to one another. But our tongue is, does much more than just communicate information. It has the ability to raise someone up or to hurt someone deeply. So our, we're unique in that, in that regard. It's, uh, it's a way of making relationships. It's a way of making or breaking. Making or yeah. And and then he talks about this contradiction. You know, you know we will we will bless God with our tongue, and then turn around and curse this person who's made in the very image of God. <laughs> He says, how can you do that? Can a, can a spring bring forth brackish water and pure water? Either the water is brackish or it's pure, or it's pure and clean. But our tongues do both. Bless, bless God and then curse our, the person made in God's image. 
like a fig tree. Uh, a fig tree, does it yield olives or grape or grapevine figs? Does salt water yield fresh? So what the tongue can do is just contrary to everything that's reasonable and rational and that we understand about nature. But the tongue has that power, doesn't it? Somebody said, you know, we we have one tongue, but we got two ears. <laughs> Twice as much listening. <laughs> At least twice as much. Seems so easy. Why do we make it so hard? <laughs> <laughs> Now in this, uh, in this, in, we skipped over uh, two or three verses back in chapter one, uh, which has to do with the law of liberty. And I sent you all, you guys, an essay, whether you downloaded that and read it or not, which is a reflection. Actually, it's part of a chapter in a book. I have a booklet that I, I uh, wrote uh, when I was working with men who had uh, sexual addictions or sexually compulsive behavior. And I, uh, in the introduction, I had this chapter on, on real bondage and freedom. What does it mean to be in bondage? Addiction is a kind of a bondage, isn't it? That's really what that means, that I do things and I keep doing them even though I don't, I know I shouldn't do them, but I can't seem to stop myself. That's a bondage. If you're forced, there's some kind of compulsion that keeps you uh, in bondage. What does it then mean to, to really be free? And, and James uh, talks about this in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, and then in chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. Uh, so uh, going back to chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, uh, Mike, uh, do you have those verses? Chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. Okay, you, you, you see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab, the harlot, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Okay, were you you reading verses 22 through 25? Yeah, yeah. James 2. Yeah, it's James 2. James 2. What? You had you got James 1, 22 to 25 on on the on your paper. Oh, I'm sorry. It is James 1. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. 
122, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But no one looks intently at the perfect law and the law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Okay, and then uh, going over to chapter 2, let's, let's look at those verses, those four verses uh, in chapter 2. Uh, I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verses 8 to 12. 8 to 12, okay, sure. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transit, you are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he is he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if you commit no adultery, yet thou kill, thou art thou become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye and do ye as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Okay, here is this uh, reference to the law of liberty. Uh, and back in chapter 1, uh, he talks about uh, those who uh, uh, have the perfect law, the law of liberty, the perfect law, the law of liberty, the royal law, verse, chapter 2, verse 8, and the law of liberty. Uh, does that seem like an odd way of describing the law? That the law is the law of liberty. Huh. We think of law as a as, as compulsion, right? A restriction rather than a liberty. Yeah. The law is a restriction, right? It takes huh. away your liberty. Um, hmm. laws, laws give you freedom from things as well. Yeah. <laughs> freedom from sin. I mean, and without they, without the law, without the law, you don't have the freedom to freedom from fear because you're fearful that others are going to use their freedom to impose upon yours and take your stuff and hurt your family and you know, all of those things. Uh, the... Um, Someone has used this illustration. A, a train that gets off the track is it now free to be what it's intended to be, or is it now become stuck and restricted? 
is its freedom to be what it's supposed to be only by staying on those rails. The wheels have to stay on the rails for the train to be what it's intended to be, isn't it? It was free. Yeah, it's only free to be a train. Right. To operate as a train when it's on the track. So think about we're only free. Right. We're only free to be what right. we're created to be when we are working inside the law or, or, upon, or from the law of God. Right. Think about all this uh, crime that's going on in New York and in some of the big cities. You know yeah. that they're saying that the crime is a result of. Uh, DAs that won't impose the law and allow people to get out without bail and everything else. The, all of the normal people, if you will, then they they've restricted their freedom. I mean, they're they're concerned about these people out there that are going to cause them harm. And, in the, and, the essay, you know, uh, what does the word freedom mean? Well, there's it, it, such a thing as freedom from. And that's how we a lot of times think of freedom. I'm free from somebody telling me what to do. Right. I'm free from the constraints of the law. But there's another sense of the word freedom. The word far. And illustrated with a quotation from the from the uh, direct declaration of independence. The Declaration of Independence is a direct declaration of independence from British rule, right. the rule of King George. It's freedom from King George, but that's not the only kind of freedom. So you're free from King George. Okay. But where does that leave you? Right. Um, they went on to explain this was a freedom to institute a new government, a freedom for laying its foundation on such principles, organizing its powers in such form as shall be most likely to secure, to effect their safety and happiness. It was a freedom to form a government that would, would protect the security of the citizens and most likely secure their happiness. That's what they were free for. But it's not just because you're free from the king of, of England, what are you going to do with yourself? Right. You could have chaos, couldn't you? Well, you have anarchy. You could like the French Revolution. They, they were free from uh, the, the king of France. They were free from the monarchy. But what, what happened in France during their revolution? Territorial. Yeah, they, it, was, it was absolutely crazy the way they were rounding up people and just beheading them without any semblance of justice or crime. If you read anything about the French Revolution, they freed Antoinette from the head. So, what, what are you free for? What is a train free for? You're free to become what God made you to be. 
to be a real human being, to be a mature person. It seems there's always a four when there's a problem. You can, it's like freedom is a direction. You know, you can be free from this, but you can't be free from something without being free for something. It has to, there has to be the other side of it. And whether you're free from laws for chaos is is one choice, not a good choice, obviously. But you have to yeah. be there has to be both sides of that freedom, freedom from something, but that that leaves you free for something. You, you leave home. You're free from your parents' restrictions. They said, you know, you have to be home at ten o'clock. You got to do your homework. Uh, you you've got to. Your job to mow the yard, well, they give you all this stuff. So you're free from that, right? You leave home. But what are you free for? What are you going to do with yourself? That's the most that's you're more free to important. Free to pay rent. <laughs> free to, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Buy your own food. Your own you, you don't have what to brush you your teeth. You don't have to take a bath, right? And interestingly enough, one of your options in freeing yourself from your parents is to free you for homelessness. Because if you don't choose to be free for becoming a contributing member of society, the other option is you're free to become, you know, somebody homeless living on the street. That's the other side. If you don't see the law as the, the way to express your freedom, then you become in, into bondage again, don't you? You come, become into bondage to, to your own impulses, your own carnal nature. Uh, I have this question. Uh, is it possible to think of the law as grace? We, we often put them in opposition, don't we? The grace of God, no, that's not law. Nothing about God's law is grace. But look at James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. It does not change like shit. Is, is the law of God a gift? I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a gift. It's a guidance. It's a gift. It's a reflection that helps us stay within some means or some boundary. You, uh, you get, get ready to, to fly an airplane. There's a, a manual that talks about this airplane will stall at certain flights and uh, certain parameters, the way it operates. There's certain givens, a law about the way this thing operates. Is it important for the pilot to understand that? Only if he wants does, to continue flying. Does he say, oh, I don't, I don't want all these restrictions. <laughs> you know, I'll just do anything with this plane I want to do. And then you'd be okay. free from flying yeah, okay. before crashing. Yeah. <laughs> You're free to kill yourself, aren't you? Interestingly <laughs> enough, when, when we impose laws, 
that are outside of God's laws, okay, which as people we have a right to do, when we impose laws that are outside of God's laws, bad things happen. You know, because bad things happen. Yeah. You know, because we're outside of that grace He's given us. He's, the law He's given us as a gift. When we go outside of that, then things don't work out so well. We have, we have problems in our society. Are you familiar with Psalm 119? That long psalm? A long one, yeah. And what does that psalm basically do over and over again? It praises God's word. It celebrates the law of God, doesn't it? It's sweeter than honey. It talks about how wonderful God's law is. And, and you remember the fiddler on the roof, Octavia? talks about if he were a rich man, one of the things he would do, he would sit in the synagogue by the eastern wall, the eastern wall, the Messiah would come to where he would study the law all day long. To meditate on God's law. If he were rich, that would be the pinnacle of life for him. So, is there a way to think about the law as grace? To understand what God wants of you. To, re to reveal to you His will. Is that, is that an act of grace? Do you, you appreciate the fact that God is willing to give you direction? <laughs> or do you, you bow your back up against that and rebel against it? Every perfect gift comes from God. His law is probably one of the most wonderful gifts. Israel celebrated the law when they understood the law as grace. If they understood it as a restriction, they would rebel against it, and of course, when they rebel against it, what happened? Death and destruction come. When you rebel against God, what happens? When you receive His law as grace, you know that God is all grace. Every good gift, all of it is grace, including the law. It's a different way, isn't it? The law only kills you, only brings death, when it activates the carnal nature in rebellion. And it does tend to do that, doesn't it? But it, it only activates rebellion because we are already have a carnal nature. We are already prejudiced against God. You ever think of that? As human beings, part of the sin within us is that nature to be prejudiced against God, not to see Him as a friend. Well, it's all because Adam and Eve ran off the rails. Yeah. They got off the track right away. 
I think it's all a sign of maturity too, Bob, because that's our nature to like to bow up against any kind of law or rule. I mean, that's just who we are. But a sign of maturity is accepting that grace that God gives as you mature. So James talks about it as the law of liberty. It's the law of liberty. It's the law in which we enjoy freedom, true freedom. Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. <laughs> what does he set? But he set, doesn't just set you free. What does he set you free from? Slavery is sin. What does the son set us free from? From our carnal nature and our compulsion. And what does he set us free for? The perfect law. The law of liberty. The law of God. Right. That's what we're free for. <laughs> You're free to obey the ten, to follow the Ten Commandments. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, for sure. Congratulated. It's a good essay. That essay you and this this is particularly the Jewish perspective on the law. Particularly, you know, the, the perspective that you find in Psalm 119. Okay. Well, we can continue to pray for Rich, and let's pray for the men's conference. <laughs>